You know, it's always good to see, um, you know, young adult ministries when they meet at night, especially during the week. And I know you guys have busy schedules and all of that to come out and take the time to just come and fellowship, get to know each other and just the Bible study, prayer and all that stuff. It's really cool. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's a, a billion things you could be doing on a Thursday night. You know, I used to run a young adult ministry. I did a Friday nights. And I purposely did it Friday nights because I knew a lot of the young people in California, what they would struggle with is they go bar hopping, they go party Friday night. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to try to start something up on a Friday night because this is going to give them a chance to come and do something. Replace that, right? Uh, we had a lot of non-Christians that would show up and, um, and the ones that got saved, the ones that... Uh, started coming more often, they would actually share that with me. They said, you know what? Friday nights for me was going to a club. Friday nights for me was going to this party or that party. And because you have this young adult ministry now on a Friday night, this is my hub now. This is where I come. And so it's kind of cool to see that. Um, and young people uh, that will change their life around for God is awesome. And so um, as uh, Pastor Allen shared, I, did, I, I shared with you guys, I think, you know, the, like I, I landed here in June of last year, 2019. And so it's been a while now, a little over a year. And um, I believe within that month or so, or maybe the second month, I think I ended up sharing uh, here. I think I did a Q&A with Pastor Jay. And if you guys were here around, maybe some of you weren't. Um, so yeah, so it's been a great experience so far. It's, as Pastor Allen said, I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm also the manager of the bridge, and I do bridge Bible talk on every day. Have you got anybody here tuned in to bridge Bible talk? Raise your hand if you've tuned in. One person. You know what? That, that's cool. Two, couple. Okay, maybe three or four. That's good, though. You know why? Because then the rest of you can tune in now. If you've not heard of bridge Bible talk, uh, Monday through Friday, three to four, it's a Bible Q&A. So you can call in and ask Pastor Lloyd and I questions about the Bible, the Christian faith, uh, you name it, whatever you want to talk about. So if you're around between three and four, Monday to Friday, tune in, check it out, and I dare you to call. Call in and ask a question. Um, it's really cool. So we're on, we're on for, for one hour. It's so um, I think you guys will really like it. You know, we get calls from little kids to older adults to young people, and they're asking questions right off the bat. And so we take those questions. But um, tonight, I'm going to be teaching you out of Exodus chapter 34. If you guys have a Bible, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. And my message, in, uh, the title of my message tonight is, Who is God? Who is God? I think chapter 34 of Exodus is a good chapter to really kind of look and see who God is, because God reveals himself to Moses. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, actually 1 through 9, just for the sake of context. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone, like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Don't you like that when he says, you broke? So that so be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no one or no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. 
And he took his hand and the two, uh, uh, in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood before him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the heaven, or the earth, I'm sorry, and worshiped. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. You know, a few years ago, uh, there was this documentary series that premiered on the National Geographic Channel, and, this, and, the, and that program was called The Story of God with Morgan Freeman. How many of you guys have heard of Morgan Freeman? He's an actor. A famous actor, he's done a lot of movies. One of the popular movies out there, I think, Evan Almighty, where he played God, um, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, Steve Carell. You know, he asked him to do, you know, to, to build the ark. It was just, I would call it a spoof uh, of, of the whole story of Noah. But Morgan Freeman is a spiritual man. And in this documentary that he had and that was premiering there in National Geographic that was entitled The Story of God, what Morgan Freeman set out to do is he set out to explore the meaning of life, God, and the big questions in between. And this is all in an effort to understand God, to really understand God, what God is like. So think about this. Here's Morgan Freeman, bunch of money puts in for this movie or this documentary, and he sets out and he takes off out of the United States and he begins to kind of study other cultures, other religions, so that he can come up with his understanding of God. So it goes on. He began to kind of cover topics every episode, topics, topics that were hour-long episodes, uh, which include creation, uh, the devil inside. These are the names of the topics. Afterlife, apocalypse, and then who is God? It drew a lot of people because these are the questions people ask. I'm sure you have non-Christian friends. When they find out you go to church, when they find out you're a Christian, they start asking you those questions. Why are you a Christian? Uh, do you really believe in God? And as you say to them, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe in God. The next question is, who is God? And how do you know God even exists? How can you prove his existence? I mean, look at the world today. Do you really think there's a God? There's evil. There's people suffering. There's people in pain. People are dying. What about COVID? Did God allow COVID to kill all these people? And then all of a sudden, these skeptics began to kind of corner you, and they're pushing you to, say, to, to, to answer them, who is God? So Morgan Freeman, because of his religious desire, wanted to know who God is, and he began to do this, this study. He traveled to seven countries exploring religious experiences. And Morgan Freeman said this, and he actually concluded, and I quote, In some places I found answers, and others led to more questions. The constant through it all is that we're all looking to be part of something bigger than us. If there's one thing I've learned, it's that we certainly are. Don't you think that's interesting? You're like, you're this close, Morgan Freeman. That is true. People are looking for something bigger than themselves. And that is what you call transcendency. 
See, there is a, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, as God says in the book of Ecclesiastes, that he's instilled eternity in the hearts of men. I don't care if your friend is an atheist. I don't care if your friend is an, is an agnostic. There is something inside of every person that desires for transcendency. They want something more. That is why a lot of people end up going into the occult. They will push Christianity aside, and they will go into spiritualism. They began to kind of look for other outlets to get spiritual. Perhaps they're hugging trees. Perhaps they're doing black magic. Maybe they're looking into spells. And all of a sudden, people are looking into other places to fill this void in them. But they will not go to Jesus. They will not go to God of the Bible. They go to other places. And so Morgan Freeman comes to this erroneous conclusion as he says, yet he was never, he never found the answer that he was looking for, and that is a true understanding of who God is. So the question to you is, do you understand who God is? Do you know who God is? Now, perhaps some of you are saying, yes, I do. I've been a Christian all my life. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to church when I was little. So yeah, as I've seen God play out in my family's life, there are other people that will be like, well, I don't know. It's just my parents said that this is who God is, and I guess that's who God is. I have two kids. I have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. And even though they're little and we do devotions at home, we talk to them about God, I will look at my nine-year-old and my five-year-old because these, these two are smart. They're not your typical nine-year-olds and five-year-olds. And I say to them, listen, mommy and daddy take you to church. Mommy and daddy teach you the Bible. Mommy and daddy pray together when we are together for food. Mommy and daddy always point to Jesus in this family. But there's going to be a day coming where you, as I look at my nine-year-old, my girl, and my little five-year-old, I said, there's the day coming that you guys are going to have to own it. Because mommy and dad are not going to be there pushing you along to church. You're going to come to a place in your life where you're going to have to decide whether you truly are going to follow Jesus or not. As your dad... As mom, we are going to do all we can to, I wouldn't say push you that way, but to influence you to go in this direction, the direction of God and knowing God, but ultimately comes down to you. See, you guys are already there. My kids are going to be here one day as far as the age. Perhaps you've already passed that. Perhaps you're just like, you're right, Robert. I was raised in a Christian home, and it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I actually owned my own faith that I actually said yes to Jesus apart from my parents. Maybe some of you here are not there yet, and you're just here because your mom and dad maybe said something, or your friend said, come alongside with me. Let's go to this young adult group. You haven't come to that place in your life where you are going to own it, where you are going to make your relationship with God personal. It's not based on somebody else. Well, my kids, even though they're little, I say this to them a lot because I want them to understand that I will take them to church. I will preach Jesus to them over and over. My little girl has received Christ before. But I know that a day is coming that they're going to make that decision themselves. And I hope that with all the things that I've instilled in them, that they're going to look at Christianity and say, you know what? I want to follow Jesus. Not because of my dad, because Jesus is real. And so Morgan Freeman in his older age, obviously he's much older than all of us, he never found that answer. So where do you find the answer when somebody's asking you, who is God? Right here, in the Bible. 
Anybody that goes outside of the Bible to figure out God or to understand God, they're going to come back with these crazy ideas about who God is. And we see here that this is what I want to look at tonight, is I want to look at Exodus 34, and I want to look at where God reveals himself to Moses. And he does it in a miraculous way. Now, chapter 34 can go, you can go back to chapter 33, verse 18. All of this in chapter 34 kind of is based out of 33, where Moses said, please show me your glory to God. Show me your glory. Well, Moses didn't tell God, well, God, this is who you are. No, Moses is asking, Lord, you show me who you are. I think that's probably the most honest thing you can do or ask when it comes to understanding God, you know, is to say, Lord, you show me who are you. I've had friends in, my past, in, in the past that have come to Christ because of that. They say, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Show me you're real. And God does it in a variety of ways. It's, it's, it's the, the person that says to you, no, this is who God is. And when they tell you who God is, you're like, oh, that's not the God of the Bible. Well, they're being very prideful. They think they know God, but they really don't know God. And so we see very clearly that as Moses is here, he's actually going to see God is going to reveal himself to Moses. And so let's look at the text here. Let's look at verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Moses, he says, cut, those two, ta- cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. He says, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. These are no other than the Ten Commandments. And he says, like the first ones, back in chapter 32, verse 19, Moses, as he was coming down the mountain, he came and realized and saw that the children of Israel were doing some detestable things, worshiping a golden calf. And because of his anger, he ended up breaking the Ten Commandments. Here, we see very clearly, God says, now get two, cut two stones again. And he says, and I will write on these, he said. You know, it was God who was going to write down the law, not Moses. God didn't need Moses' input. He didn't need Moses' approval or his advice. God knew what he was going to do. And so the first ones in Exodus thirty-two sixteen. It says that the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets as he broke the two. So God had already, God had the first two stones ready for Moses, and even though the stones were provided by the Lord the first time, we see here the second time God is asking him to do it again. He's required to cut these stones because obviously he broke the first ones. And so notice in verses 2 and 3, Moses was to be ready, and God sets boundaries. Look, at, look, look what he says here in verse 2. He says this in verse 2 and 3. He says, so be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the mountaintop. And no man shall come up with you. Let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So the boundaries were no one should be coming up but you. This whole base of the mountain has been set apart. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart. Stay away from this. Only you come up. And he says even the shepherds were to be kept away. The mountain was the holy presence, the holy place of God. 
And so Moses wakes up in the morning, doesn't waste any time. And the Bible says in verse 5, he rose early in the morning. He was anxious. He was ready. He wasted no time. And here's where things begin to get really cool. Notice in verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be cool tonight? You're at your house, in your room, and all of a sudden this cloud appears in your room, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. And it's the presence of God coming into your place. I mean, this was before Christ, obviously, right? When Jesus came and revealed the Father in person. But here's God in the Old Testament. God who is, you know, holy and couldn't, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't come to God because he was so holy. And yet here we see God descends in the cloud. And it's interesting in the Bible. When you read the Bible, and if you're taking notes, when you look at the word cloud and you find the places where the word cloud is used, a lot of times it is used to signify the presence of God. Uh, for example, in Mount Sinai, Exodus 19.16, we see that God appeared again on a cloud there. That was his presence. In Exodus 13, verses 21 through 22, we see that there was a cloud that led Israel by day and a pillar of fire by night. So the cloud represented God's presence. He says that every time you see that cloud move, you follow. It filled Solomon's temple, signifying the, the presence of God in 2 Chronicles 7.2. It overshadowed Mary in the New Testament at conception of Jesus in Luke 1.35. Jesus ascended on a cloud in Acts chapter 1 as he went back into heaven. And when Jesus comes back, Revelation 1.7, coming back on the clouds. Pretty interesting. And here we see that what Moses is about to experience here is a divine a divine visitation of the presence of God, or a dwelling of God on earth. This is a radical thing. This doesn't normally happen today. Yeah, you hear people say, God appeared to me in a room. You know, I, I remember I was in Bible college one time, and um, I sat in, I came into my class, and there was a guy next to me on the left, and he was sitting, and he kept staring at me. You know when, you're, when you know somebody's staring at you? You could feel it, right? You, you kind of like when you're looking out the peripheral, you see that their head's turning, looking at you. Isn't that kind of freaky? You're like, okay, they're looking at me here, right? And he kept doing that. And I just kept ignoring it, looking at my professor. And I could see him staring. And I kind of looked. I did one of these like, oh, okay, he's looking at me. Kind of weird, right? Freaky, right? And so as he was doing that, I was like, okay, what, what is this? Is he, He's either trying to tell me something or he's just weird, right? So at the end of the class, we had a break, or actually at the break of the class, I looked at him, and he's staring at me. And I said, hey, bro, <laughs> what's, what's going on? And he says, can I tell you something? I'm like, sure. He says, can we walk outside? I'm like, really? I'm going to walk outside? It's dark, you know? And I grabbed one of my friends. I said, hey, can you come out with me? I'm not going to go out in the, you know, outside with this guy. Pulls out a gun. I'm gone, right? I don't know who he is. And he began to share with us, because I had my friend with me, that, that Jesus appeared to him in, a room, in his room. And I said, okay. And so he appeared to me, and he was sitting there on my bed, and, and he began to talk to me. And I said, okay, what did he say to you? He says, well, he said that, that in the end times, he's going to use me. I said, all right, that's cool. I guess you'll miss the rapture then. <laughs> um, and he's, you got that one, right? And I didn't say that to him. And I said, okay. I said, okay, that's awesome. God's going to use you. Great. But here's where, here's where I went, oh, this guy's not doing well. And he says, and he also told me that, that, that my, my mind 
my mind, and I'm going to be smarter than Jesus. When he said that, I was like, okay. I looked at my friend and said, okay, we need to pull him aside here. You see, that was weird, and that wasn't biblical. When we see these, visita- these divine visitations of God in the Old Testament, this is pre-Jesus. Jesus came. We saw in the Old Test- New Testament, Jesus walked among people and all, and Jesus is in heaven. He's gone now. I'm not saying that God cannot do that again, but it's not a normal thing. We have the Holy Spirit now that is with us, and it's the presence of Christ through us in the Holy Spirit. Here we see this spectacular, dramatic self-revelation of God. And here's Moses. And notice what God says. What it says there in verses 6 and 7 is very important. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. You know what this means? This means that God wants to be known. Listen, God is not a mystery. People think that God is this mysterious being that's out there that you have to figure out and go after and try to figure out and look for. God wants to be known. And what I mean by that is that God wants to reveal himself to people. He wants to reveal himself to to your agnostic friend. See, you don't have to try to convince somebody that God is real. You just say, you know what, buddy? You know what? If you go in your room and you ask God, Lord, if you're real, reveal yourself to me or show me that you're real. God has ways to reach that person in a radical way. And so we see here that very clearly that God wants to be known. This is what, this is what makes God personal. He's not trying to hide from people. I mean, if he was trying to hide from people, Jesus would have never came on earth. He would have just kept Christ from coming because that was pretty obvious that God was walking among us with all the miracles that Jesus was doing. Even as Nicodemus said, we know you're from God because you wouldn't be able to do these things that you're doing. God made himself clear to the world. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, uh, you don't have to turn there, but let me read this to you. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, uh, you see that uh, Paul, Paul says something very interesting, and you probably know this verse, uh, you've read this many times, but I think it's an important verse for us to see as far as when it comes to the revelation of Christ. And God said this to, to, the, to the Christians there in Rome. He says this in chapter 1, at verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. Notice that. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. There are two types of revelation when it comes to God. There is special revelation and there is general revelation. Special revelation is Jesus coming to earth to reveal the Father. That's special revelation. It's Christ's. General revelation, you're talking about creation. That you can just take somebody outside on a, on a, on a clear night and you point up to the sky and you look at this incredible universe. And you look up and you say, do you think this came by chance? It takes more faith to believe that this entire universe and all the things you see up in the sky at night was just a random act of just an accident that just came from a big bang. God says that the things that are clearly seen 
And you look at creation, you look at, the, you look at the ocean as you see the tides going in and out. I mean, all these things that are uniformed, that never, never break the law of, of, of each of these things. Like, for example, I can pick up this water bottle and then I can just drop it and it would always drop. If we were living in this random, chaotic kind of place, if I drop this, it would go over there. And then tomorrow it'll go over there. But tonight it'll come, you know what I'm saying? But it keeps going down. It's called gravity. And you, and you can point to the things that are clearly seen to those friends that are, you know, are skeptics and they're trying to tell you they don't believe in God. Begin to show them the things that are clearly seen. Creation. Hit them up with these things. Challenge their thinking. But special revelation is Jesus himself coming to this earth, dying on the cross, and the proof that we have that, yes, most secular historians believe and are convinced that a man by the name of Jesus truly lived on this earth. The question is whether he was God or not. That's the question that they have, that they have a, tr- a problem with. But as far as Christ ever walking on this earth, that's a given. Most historians know that. Here, we see that God wants to be known. God reveals himself to Moses. Moses got what he requested, a proclamation of God's name or his character God revealed as much of his, of, of his glory as much as he could because we're told in Exodus 33, verse 20, he says to Moses, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Moses got a glimpse of God. And so notice in verse 6, it says it passed before him and he proclaimed. What, what God proclaimed is of utmost importance here. This proclamation here, this wasn't a subjective experience. It, was based, it wasn't based on some kind of feeling that Moses was like, oh, I just felt God. I felt that he was good and forgiving. Christianity is not based on our feelings. It wasn't an emotional experience that he had. Moses had a true revelation of God. God proclaimed his word to Moses. His experience was an objective one. He saw something. He heard something. Like the burning bush. You remember the burning bush? Moses, God revealed himself to Moses. It was a visible manifestation. And the Christian faith, you may know this already, the Christian faith is an objective faith. You don't have to be ashamed of our faith in Christ. Yeah, there are people calling us Jesus freaks or, y'all, you're just... You're an unreasonable person. You're narrow-minded. You don't understand. There's no way I can be a Christian. You guys are so weird. Listen, our faith is objective because we have Jesus, who's the object of our faith, and then you have your own personal experience. And what I mean by that is look at your own transformation. You guys are here. I mean, I'm boggled when I think about my life I've been a Christian for 20, I don't know, 24 years, 25 years. And I'm thinking, you know, the person that I was before I was a Christian. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and give you my testimony, but I'm thinking, I always think back. I flash back to my past. I'm like, wow. And I fast forward to now. I'm like, man, who am I? (laughs) Totally changed. The desires that I had in the past are no longer there. And yet my heart's desire is the Bible teach the Bible, pray, all these things that were absent in my life in the past. I I didn't care about God. I was raised a Roman Catholic. 
I had this religious fear of God, but I didn't really know God. As a Roman Catholic, all I remember is that Jesus stopped at the cross. As I walked in a church, in a Catholic church, Christ was always up on the cross, crucified with a, a crown of thorns and, and blood. And, and that was Jesus to me. That's where it stopped for me. It was just the man that died on that cross. Beyond that, I wasn't really sure what happened after that until I got saved and I became a Christian and I realized there's more beyond the cross. There's more beyond the crucifixion. I'm actually serving and living for a real God, a living God who's in heaven, who died on the cross for me and rose again to prove that he was God and that I truly have eternal life. That when I lay my head on my pillow tonight and my house falls down on my head, I know where I'm going to go. I don't have to worry about what happens. What, what, you know. I remember one time I was witnessing to a friend who would always make fun of me because I was a Christian. This is at work. And this, his name was Jerry. Always made fun of me. And one day I had him on his own because he would always do it when there was always people around. Get, get, those that make fun of you perhaps are usually around other people, but get him alone it's a different story. So I finally got him alone and I said, Jerry, let me ask you a question. He goes, what? If you were to die today, do you know where you would go? You would see the look on his face. It's almost like he, his face turned pale. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know. He would never admit that in front of the other coworkers. I don't know. And I shared the gospel with him. It is so important for us to understand that the Christian faith is faith in Christ. He's the object of our faith. And our faith is based on a real historical person. At the heart of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. It is not blind faith. It is not blind faith. And so he reveals himself to Moses in an objective way by proclaiming who he is this visible manifestation of the glory of God. And notice what he says, the Lord, the Lord God. This is the self-revelation of God. The word Lord, when you see the word Lord in the Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the covenant name of God. That is the God who, re who appeared to Abraham and to patriarchs. He, he actually introduced himself as the covenant God, the covenant-making God, Yahweh. The name is so holy that Jews do not use that name. They would go G-D. They had so much reverence for the name of God, Yahweh. And this is the name that he's revealing himself. He, and then the repetition of his name here, some scholars believe it emphasizes his immutability, meaning he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He presents himself as the eternal, unchanging God. And this is God. He doesn't need man to define or describe God. This is who he is. He's telling Moses, this is who I am. This is who I am. You know, today many people try to define God, but the issue is with their knowledge, the information that they get is not from the Bible. They make up God in their own understanding, and they usually create this God that, that is like them. You know, the, the, you know, when they say, oh, I'm a Christian, too, and they're smoking pot, getting drunk, right? And you're like, I don't know if you're, I mean, we're different. <laughs> I'm a Christian. You're saying you're a Christian, but look at your life. Your life is not even modeling anything like that. Well, most of the time, they, they create a God in their minds that only sees the good things they do, but is blind to the bad things they do. 
And that's a big thing we see today. So this is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. This name, capital L-O-R-D, appears in the Bible in the Old Testament over 6,500 times. 6,500 times. It's used, this name is used more than any other name of God, and it was first used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. God's name is vital to a proper understanding of who God is. Knowing God should be the top priority of every person, and especially for you as a Christian and for me as a Christian. Generally speaking, for the whole world, knowing God should be top priority, but we know people don't make that as a top priority. But for you and for me, it's a given that it should be a top priority for us to know God. There's not going to be a day that you're going to wake up in the morning and say, I know everything about God now, so I'm good. You will never, ever, ever reach a point in your Christian life where you're going to know everything about God. So what I mean by that is that you're going to continue to learn about God. God is going to reveal himself more to you through experiences as you're getting older, as you're growing up. God is just going to be blowing you away. You know generally who he is in the book of the, in the Bible, right? You, you know the stories and all. But when he begins to reveal himself to you personally through experiences, that's awesome. That's when you really begin to connect with God. You know, it's interesting that there are a lot of intelligent people in our world today who do their own study of God, and they, they, they come up with these weird, weird conclusions. There's a philosopher. Her name is Nancy Abram, and she's a very well-known philosopher. She's a secular woman. She's married to a, a renowned um, cosmologist, and uh, they wrote a book, and the title of the book was this, A God That Could Be Real, Spirituality, Science, and the Future of Our Planet. That was the book. And she argues, and she says this, and I quote, she says, God is arguably the most powerful concept in the human mind, but there is no single idea of God. Rather, they've been evolving nonstop for thousands of years. And then she says that there are five things that we need to accept to truly understand God. Now, remember, this is a secular philosopher coming up with her own ideas of God, and she's writing a book. People are probably buying this book, reading it, and they're coming out with these ideas of God. And this is what she says. To understand God, you need to know these things. One, God could not have existed before the universe. Two, God did not create the universe. Three, God cannot know everything. Four, God cannot intend everything that happens. Everything is by chance. And five, God cannot violate the laws of nature. What kind of God is that? She just dumbed down the God of the Bible, didn't she? And people are buying this book, and they're like, oh, this is who God is. You run into them at work. You run into them in the stores. Those are the people that you're talking to that when they say, oh, I'm a Christian too. Oh, I believe in God like you do. This is their understanding of God. Until you begin to kind of ask him more questions, and then they begin to unravel. And you're like, oh, okay, I see. Her view of God is based on science, matter, and the laws of nature. Based on her book. She says, we need to let the universe teach us about God. In a way, that's true. You look up and the Bible says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God, right? But it's sad that she speaks with this authority and she does not have the correct view of God. You know, Romans 1, 22 verses, Romans 1, 22 and 23 says, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. 
That's the secular world for you. And so we see here that as God is revealing himself to Moses, he says to him, not only does he call, he reveals his covenant, but notice what he says. He says, he says, he is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, and keeping, he says, mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and the transgressions and sins. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. That's the God of the Bible. That's who God is. Those words are quoted throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They never contradict each other. They're the heart of the very self-revelation of God to man. And so when somebody says to you, who is God? You could say, you know who God is? God is a merciful God. He's a gracious God, long-suffering. He's abounding in goodness and truth, and he's a forgiving God. That's the God that we have. That's the God that people need to hear. These words are words that are expressing the gracious nature of God. And so Moses is revealing, he's seeing these things, and it says there, I love the one that says abounding in goodness. It means loving kindness. It means to be faithful, to be loyal, to show goodness and mercy, not because the object deserves it, but because the giver chooses to give it. And that's who God is. Remember Psalm 23, 6, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We say God is good, and we say, amen, God is good. His goodness will follow you the rest of your life. His goodness is there. No matter how hard your day was today, God is good. Amen? God is good. And you could see how good God is in your life. And sometimes we don't see that. We're not going to really, really see the goodness of God or know and understand the goodness of God until we get to heaven when he says, you know that one night that you were at the gradient on Thursday night, yeah, where there was a car barreling down, the guy was drunk, and you know what? I made sure that guy didn't hit you. And just that day, you cursed God or you said, oh, God, I don't trust you or something. You're not good. I don't know. And he spared your life. You don't know what God is up to. You don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. And so the good thing is that he is good. He's abounding in goodness. So God is saying to Moses, this is who I am. But there's another side of God. Notice what he says there. He's loving. He's gracious, which does not counsel out his righteousness. Notice it says that God forgives. Moses knows that God forgives because of the children of Israel that he was leading through the desert. He's getting a second chance here. They're getting a second chance. And he says that the forgiving the iniquity, the third and fourth generation, meaning God is slow to punish, and he gives us a chance after chance to get right with him. But if we don't, obviously God will have to deal with us, and that's what happened with like Jonah, who went the opposite way. And so how does Moses react to the revelation of God? Notice what he, he does in verse 8. So Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth, and worshiped. He didn't question God, but I don't, are you really that good, God? No, you're not that long-suffering, are you? No, he says, you know what? This is overwhelming. He just bowed his head, and he just worshiped. Moses was reminded of who God is. He knew he was not equal to God. He knew that he was the servant, and he knew to let God alone be God. Can you do that tonight? Can you just let God be God in your life? Could you please not try to control God in your life? Can you not try to tell God what you want to do in life? Sometimes we try to string God along. 
Instead of us following God, we want him to follow us. God doesn't need that. God knows better than you know yourself. God knows the future. You don't. And so for us to be trying to tell God what to do or to go this way, God, with me is very foolish. You're telling an eternal God, a God who has been around longer than you, that you know better than him. And yes, life can be disappointing sometimes. He never said life would be fair, but we do know that God is faithful. He's trustworthy. We're living in a fallen world. We're around fallen people. Things happen. It's not always his fault. And you can't say, well, it was his fault. No, it wasn't. We're just put in, we're in a world that's fallen, a world that's about to be redeemed as Jesus is preparing to come back. We see here that when Paul the Apostle got saved in Acts chapter 9, you know, we see that he was knocked off his horse. And the very first thing, when, when he found out it was Jesus, when he says, it is Jesus whom you're persecuting, you know what Paul said? He said this, Lord, he said, who are you, Lord, first, right? He thought he knew God, but then he says something more powerful. He says, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? This is Paul the Apostle. See, a lot of times we will tell God, Lord, this is what I want to do. Instead of humbling ourselves and be like Paul and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And wait for him. Wait patiently. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7 is fulfillment of Christ himself. It says in John 1.14 that Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt means tabernacle. That Jesus tabernacled among us. The tabernacle, which was moved around and around, and it was taken apart, put up and everything. Well, Jesus himself became that tabernacle who walked among us. So what do I want you guys to learn from this? And as I conclude, we have a wonderful picture of God that will, one, help you in your personal relationship with God to grow more and to understand him more. And two, it will give you something to tell those skeptics when they ask you, who is God? Go take them to Exodus 34. Memorize Exodus 34, the section where God revealed himself to Moses. This is who God is. Philip's request in the New Testament to Jesus, he said, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. And then Jesus sort of rebuked him. He says, have I been with you long? And yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the dwelling place of God's glory. Everybody saw it. And you have seen the risen Christ in your personal life because of the transformation that took place in you. The person that you are today is because of Jesus. Because Jesus is real. You know, when I got saved, my friends and even my family thought I was just going through a trip again. You know, I would always go through different fads, right? Over and over, different styles, different things. And now I became a Christian. Ah, it's going to burn off. He's just going to, nah, he's just following other friends that are Christians. This is not going to last. Well, they were wrong 20-some years later. What, what happened to me was for real. It, it, it changed me for real. Have I been living a perfect life? No. Is that what God calls me to do, is to live this perfect life? No. Paul even said, I have not reached that place yet, but we will eventually in heaven. But in the, in the meantime, on this side of heaven, I strive not for salvation or for doing good works, but I strive to please my God. Not because I'm trying to get more approval from him. I'm already in the beloved. 
I've been accepted already. I don't have to prove anything to God. God already saved me. I'm valuable to him. So whatever I do is not to get more favor from God. It's because I love him and I want to honor him and I want to serve him. And so we see clearly here that the good news for us is that God is gracious. God is merciful. He's long-suffering. And he's ready to pardon us when we fail, when we sin. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do you know God? Has God revealed himself to you? Do you feel like you've, gotten so, you, you've come so far and, and, and you're maybe like a lot of people where they're just religious. They're just kind of going along with the motion, but they're not really there yet. And some of you are probably are there. You're, amen, that's right. I, Christ is awesome in my life. But maybe you're here tonight. You're like, I'm not there yet, Robert. I've been kind of coming here kind of like a skeptic, kind of seeing from a, just kind of stepping back and seeing what this is all about. But I'm not there yet. Well, tonight God is saying to you, and he's revealed himself to you through his word, and he's telling you who he is. And almost like, what are you waiting for? Are you ready to step in and trust God with your life? Are you ready to allow God to lead you and direct you and help you? Are you done living your life by yourself? Are you done living your life on your own, trying to do your own things? Are you willing to let go of your life and allowing God to come in and say, I will take over?